Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And I got the COVID. That's what I heard. You're looking good. Well, let's just put it like this. COVID can't take me down. First time? First time <laughs> First getting time. The, the Rona? <laughs> I don't even know if I have COVID. I just assume I do. Because, you know, it's the only thing you can get right now. You yeah, can't get the I, flu. I you can't it. get a cold. I had it. It hit like a Mack truck. I got, remember, like, it was back early 2020 kind of but you got sick a lot back in the day so i i didn't i didn't recognize it as anything different oh dude six weeks and andrew is like shut up you're going to the doctor i had an exponential webinar two podcasts um all on the same day and i was dry heaving in the sink and it had been six weeks and andrew is like don't and i'm like no Uh, you know i'm literally like dry heaving arguing with her in the sink going no, I got a webinar with Exponential. And she goes, and, and I'm like, is it two hours? And she's like, shut up. You're so sick. Get in the car. Don't argue with me. So she manhandles me into the car, gets me down there. The guy says, uh, uh, oh, you know, like he's all cryptic and weird with me because they didn't have the test yet. And he's like, uh, I, I think it's good that you haven't been jumping to because COVID panic was just setting in. I had this thing, you know, I got stranded in the Portland airport. And uh, anyways, he gave me a Z-Pack and that knocked it out. But all the symptoms where I couldn't stop sleeping, you know, yada, yada. So that was uh, that was the weirdest part, man. Like last Friday, I pretty much slept all day. Like yeah. you're just physically exhausted, like just to a whole nother level. Well, dude, I don't know what you did to get over it so quick. The unstoppable, unsinkable people. Uh, this right here, baby. A uh, little, <laughs> little fighting it. 
Yes. So, uh, well, I, I had some, uh, I had some smack for today. Let's hear it. I stabbed myself in the leg. In the leg? Like I stabbed myself in the You're leg. You're supposed to let me stab you in the leg. Hey, I got this catalog last night on the cover is like this. It says uh paint pellet identifying home defense, uh, shotgun. It, it shoots these giant rubber balls at people. And I guess they have pain in them, but, uh, it was a ninja catalog. And I'm like, they found me. There's all these weapons in there, Pete, like stuff I haven't seen since I was a kid on like ninja movies. Oh my gosh. It's the coolest stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how these people found me, but from now on I'm putting, yes, please share all of my information with your third parties, because if it means more ninja catalogs coming in my mailbox, I'm down. They can have all, take all my info. What other catalogs are out there that I'm not getting? How did you stab yourself? Okay. So I'm at the mother-in-law's Sunday, right? I go to Remnant, which is kind of like the mission offshoot of refuge after the merge of the other churches. It was like the War of Five Armies. They all came together. And what happened was, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I go back, you know, I, I have this elders me. It was a full day. It was great. I'm getting ready to come home. I'm at the mother-in-law's. And Andrew says, hey, my mom is getting ready to tent her house. That means she said, hey, any clothes, any pictures, anything like I'm trying to clean the rooms out as much as possible. And of course, being missionaries over the years, we've accumulated junk. And, you know, this one has like a four bedroom, five bedroom house with just herself. So like one room is ours from when we stay over and uh, the kids get to stay in one. So I go in there and I clear out the only thing of value that I can find that I actually want to take. I told her, throw the, you know, have, have the guys that you're having come in, just throw the rest away. I find boxes of cassette tapes from the nineties of me preaching. And then as I lift up the bed, I find an old Hibben knife. Now this thing is so wicked looking that Andrew's like, I do not want that years, 20 years ago. She's like, I don't want that in my house. My brother bought me this amazing Hibben knife. This thing has blades coming out of blades, wicked, big, curvy, sharp things, right? Um, I think if you held it and tried to fight with it, you'd end up stabbing yourself, right? So this thing's in a cardboard box. And I chuck it in this black plastic, plastic bag with all these like boxes of cassette tapes, like sermon series, yada, yada. And I set it by the front door. 8.30 at night, we're getting ready to roll back, get on the freeway, drive back home. I picked this box up. Now, what I didn't know is that the box had fallen within the bag and the weight of the knife inside the box had punctured the box and it punctured the bag. So I tried to lift it. And I guess that's when it happened. So this blade is sticking out. I don't even see it. And this is wicked hook blade thing. And when I lift it up, it goes into my leg and I'm in the motion of lifting and I perform Harry carry on my leg. Like it's like, that thing happened so fast. I barely felt it. Like it, it felt like, you know, like if you ever catch yourself on some plastic thing, you know, you're like, ow, you know, a little scrape. I looked down and there's this big old gash in my leg. <laughs> I look down and go, oh, I think I got to go to the hospital. <laughs> Did you go? <laughs> well, yeah. So everyone starts freaking out. I mean, blood is just, and you know, like when you're bleeding and it's red, it's like black, right? Like it's blood just pouring out of here. And, and so like, I look down and it starts to open up. Now, if you're, if you're queasy, remember I'm an RN firefighter paramedic. So 
I look down and I'm like, huh. And I'm, I, you know, you just know to stay calm in situations, right? And I already know. Just I'm gonna crazy glue it. Just crazy glue it. Dude, this thing was deep. So it opens up the first time. A lot of crazy and glue. Andrea looks down and goes, oh my gosh. And she goes and gets like this big old bandage, right? She pops that sucker on there. But as she's gone, it opens up more. And Liberty's like, ah! <laughs> you know, it's like this big gaping hole. And so I'm like, uh, so anyways, I go to the first hospital. I drive to the first hospital. I walk up to the ER. Guy's in a little, you know, little dock in a box thing, you know, behind this bulletproof glass. I, I go to check in. I say, hey, uh, I cut my leg. He he looks at me and goes, oh, man, I look, I don't know what to tell you. We're super booked here. Like, it's really, it's probably going to be hours before we get to you. And I go, okay, listen. I know I'm super calm right now. I'm probably going into shock, but here's the deal, man. Um, I'm RN paramedic firefighter. This is pretty bad. I just got to let you know. I'm not going to show it to you, but um, like, what are we talking here? Like, you know, how slammed are you? And this doc from behind this curtain, like leans back, like he's on one of those little rolly stools. He leans his head out back from a curtain behind the guy. And I could tell he goes, ah, you know, man, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, I, I got this and I got that. And I think, okay, note this self. There's one doctor. This is Huntington Hospital, right? Like the, the one on beach. I'm like, oh, I've been in, you know, I've been in every ER, like in any city I've ever lived. I've been in every hospital as an ER. So I'm thinking, oh, I've been here before. There's one guy here, right? So I, uh, I go, okay, I'll just drive to Fountain Valley. <laughs> Go to Fountain Valley. Now Liberty's with me. She's like, uh, I'm driving myself there, and uh, the blood's all contained. You know, Spanish things catching everything. Liberty's like, Dad, are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm all right. And she's like, Are you sure? And I guess like my driving was a little bit strange. I'm like, I'm fine, babe. Don't worry, I'm fine. <laughs> she's like, I. Is it close, Dad? And I'm like, Yeah, it's close. You know. So we're driving and she goes, she goes, okay. She goes, I think maybe mom should come get you after this. Anyways, we go in there and on the way I'm thinking, okay, note to self, must reword how I state my injury. So I walk in there and I go, I walk in there and go, uh, they go, yeah, what, what is it? I go, I have a stab wound on my leg. <laughs> go, okay. The nurse says, uh, can I see it? I show it to her. She goes, oh, cover that back up. Cover it back up. She goes, yeah, uh, just go straight in. So they send me straight back. I skip all, like, there's a packed ER at Fountain Valley Hospital. I train there, too. And and uh, I, I just, I get to skip all the people with the sniffles. And the guy just sutures me up right there. And uh, I, I got to say, I think I went up in my daughter's estimation, though. Because uh, at one point, the guy suturing me up. And the, the anesthetic didn't take yet, but they were so busy, just started doing it. And the doctor's like, oh, it, it's not affecting you yet? I go, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter's over there. Does it hurt? I'm like, maybe, maybe a little. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, that was my story. And I was like, I can't wait to get on Smack Talk and tell you about the time I stabbed myself in the leg. Wow. So, uh, so I got my sutures on. Nice. Are you going to take them out yourself? I could. Why not? They have to come out in a week. I, I mean, wouldn't have been the first time. I've actually done sutures in the hospital before. I wasn't supposed to, but 
I did them mm. uh, with a doctor's supervision. He told me, he's like, hey, you want a suture? I'm like, yeah, I'll show you how. Come here. I still think it's funny when you had that surgery recently. You're like, uh, I'm sorry, doctor. Is there going to be cutting today? <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> So of course we're going to be cutting. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, uh, doctor, no one said anything about actual cutting into my body today. <laughs> it says I was on the table just to make them all laugh. And most doctors have no sense of humor. Yeah. You know what? I don't think my doctor did. He was like, he was like walking around. He, had, he was shorter than me. So I'm like, oh, yeah, he has short man syndrome. He really needs to be a doctor. So anyways, uh, hey, should we get started? We, we have a special guest, and I just ate up some of his time telling my story. And uh, But that's, that's okay. all right. This is his second time doing this, so he's got it down. Do you have extra time today, Pete, or we got to go? I at, do. Uh, I do. Oh, great. So we can, we can get the full Don Stoner. That's a euphemism, by the way, for full science. You will get all the science, nothing but the science, all the science you need, not the science you deserve. So Don Stoner's back with us today. Don Stoner is a good friend. He's a guy that makes me think. He's changed my views many a time on things. And uh, he's made some of you angry. Would you say but, your uh, views have evolved? <laughs> perhaps, yes. I prayed during that. And, uh, it, you know, it's got me thinking. I mean, it really has me thinking. You know, recently, Rhett and Link, um, you know, famous uh, YouTubers back in the day, Christians, um, they, they started talking about how they started pulling the, the thread, deconstructing their faith. And it started with evolution. I wish Rhett and Link could have heard what Don said last time, where Don's like, I don't think you can believe in evolution without God, and actually uses it as a proof for God. If that upsets you, listen, if you're not getting angry, that's because you're not getting challenged and you're not thinking. We don't care where you land on this. I mean, uh, Pete and I probably don't agree with each other. I don't think we've arrived where Don's at fully, um, but Don makes me think. He he loves the scripture. Uh, digs in the scripture, probably anyone more than I know has a deep respect for it, but a deep suspicion for our interpretations. And so he's always great to talk to for that reason. So Don, I'm going to stop talking about you in the third person. Uh, you could talk about yourself in the third person. Don is very happy to be here, Peyton. Thank you. But uh, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be here, Peyton. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start with the same stupid joke I started with last time, but I'm going to let you guys tell it. You've heard about the knock-knock joke that goes like this. Like, I know a really great knock-knock joke. You start it. <laughs> you know, now, was that the going? last time that we couldn't record? Like last time, last time that we had Don here, um, he because we do this Facebook Live, he had all these visuals. Like he had diagrams, he had PowerPoints. And afterwards, we we're like, uh, we need to have Don redo this. So we pulled it. Um, for those of you who were on the Facebook Live, it was great. But we decided it won't work for the podcast. So Don's back now. He's morphed everything into audio. And uh, so I don't know if that joke was from the last time or the last time last time. Oh, okay. Well, here is a visual that I don't have. <laughs> what I am holding in my hand is a child's toy. It's called a ring, a stacking ring toy. And I'm going to put a ring on this stacking ring toy. And I obviously need one more book, which I have right here. The joke I'm going to start with is from Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time. And it's the oh, same that guy joke. is so funny. He's one of the funniest guys. Oh, wait, sorry. Never mind. 
<laughs> I, I think you've got it right. No, yeah. I, I, I like a sense of humor. But in any case, um, I'm going to let you guys do the joke, like the knock-knock joke. You start it. Uh, okay, guys, what holds the earth up? Uh, well, actually, it's floating in space. And, and uh, thanks to gravity, it just stays where it is. Uh, my uneducated, answer. my uneducated friend Pete Mitchell. Uh, let me tell you, it is it is either on the back of an elephant, or the back of a tortoise, or both. Turtle or tortoise? Uh, the difference. Turtles. Well, the same. Technically, is it's turtle a turtle. Way, turtle. I did look it up. Down. We got tortoises last time, but yeah. it's turtles. It is turtles all the way down. That is the phrase. Okay, um, and of course that joke is from first page in Stephen Hawking's book, and I'm going to read it here. A well-known scientist, I couldn't uh, remember the quote, some say it was Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher, and we can talk about him for the whole time, or we can continue with the quote, once gave a public lecture on astronomy. He decided he described how the Earth orbits around the sun, how the sun in turn orbits around the center of the vast collection of stars called our galaxy. At the end of the lecture, a little old lady at the back of the room got up and said, what you have told us is rubbish. The world is really a flat plate supported on the back of a giant tortoise. She said tortoise. Uh-oh. Because it is turtles. Hence all the, the way confusion. Down. Hence the confusion, right? Um, the scientist gave a superior smile before replying, What is the tortoise standing on? You're very clever, young man. Very clever, said the old lady. But it's turtles all the way down. So she's confused. That's why we get tortoises and turtles in the <laughs> same quote. Uh, Stephen Hawking. To which I reply, they're uh, not the same animal. <laughs> Okay, now I have a book to put under here and see if I can get my stack up to where the bottom turtle shows, and it doesn't, so I am going to recruit Robert Shapiro's book, Origins, to bring it up to where it can be seen, and now it's too high, so, because I want this thing to float on the bottom of the screen there with nothing no holding it up. No okay. worries, and as we're, you're getting no yourself one's set see up. It because this is an audio podcast. Yeah, okay, but, well, anyway, I have a child stacking ring, and I have put the first block on the post, and it is for, for a causality stack I'm going to build here for where A causes B causes C, and I can build up with things supporting each other like a big stack of tortoises or turtles. Okay. Um, the first thing on the, the block, our earth here that sits on nothing or floats on no, nothing as Job 26.7 says, uh, in the case of the universe, what created the universe or what created our minds is what we're trying to get to today. Mm. The first step is God. But of course, Stephen talking, when he speaks of God, he's talking about something cosmic with no, uh, with no, um, what can I say here that's true and still is what he said. I probably can't do it. I probably have to lie a little bit. No, no sentient abilities. However, he, he talks for this whole book, A Brief History of Time, until he gets to about the last page. In fact, it's the second to the last page. And I'm going to read this next because it's a little bit un, uh, hard to believe. And I'm on the wrong section. It's second to last page. 
Uh, okay, so Stephen is summing the whole thing up, and he says, even if there is only one possible unified theory, it is just a set of rules and equations. What is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? What's this standing on? Is this bottom block? Um, the usual approach of science of constructing a mathematical model cannot answer the question of why there should be a universe for the model to describe. What does the or why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? Is the unified theory so compelling that it brings about its own existence, or does it need a creator? And if so, does he have any of the other any other effect on the universe? And who created him? Of course, turtles all the way down. We're back to that. So what, what is it that does this? Stephen Hawking doesn't know, but he says, here's our starting point. But he does say something interesting. It breathes fire into the universe and causes it to exist, which means part of this turtle here is the ability to act, to cause things to happen. I've put a label on it, and I have initiative. It can initiate things. It can start things happening. That's an interesting property for this bottom turtle did it get it from somewhere else or you know what's going on here uh, if we're going to build on this the next thing up is quantum mechanics and okay i'm going to i recommended last time john gribben's book in search of schrodinger's cat if you want to learn about quantum mechanics but what stephen hawking told us is that it's mathematical that our equations are mathematical, and what we learn when we study quantum mechanics is that particles, um, energy, that's particle, uh, matter and energy, both particles, and time and space, you learn that more from, from Einstein than from quantum mechanics, from relativity, are all mathematical and don't seem to have any existence apart from math, which means that our second turtle here sits on top of the first one. If we get to our mathematical theory, if we ever get it at the bottom, quantum mechanics is mathematical. So it's constructed of that. Next one up, atomic physics, third, third block. And these are, incidentally, those of you who aren't seen it, in, in rainbow colors. And I'm using the, the acronym Roy G. Biff, red, orange, yellow, green, um, blue, indigo, and violet. And that's what the colors of blocks I've got here. And I had to cheat a little bit with a felt pen to get my blocks the right colors to, to use that. But I'm starting at the bottom with violet, which could be the royal purple for God. And we're working up to what we're trying to get to is our mind somehow. So in the next level up, atomic physics, we can take Schrodinger's equations and we can calculate how particles will behave, which are also nothing but equations, how they will interact with each other, and we can construct a mo the model for what the atom is and how, to, how these atoms will interact with each other. But it's still all based on the mathematical equations, so it's still nothing but mathematics at the bottom of Hawking's thing, his, his causality stack. Next up, chemistry. Chemistry is nothing, this is the green level layer that I'm putting on top of atomic physics, is nothing but these atoms hooking together in different ways. So it's still nothing but mathematics. It's an abstraction 
is, is a good way of saying it, of mathematics alone. Next up is we can take these chemicals and build them in or put them into more complicated arrangements. We can build um, or, or organelles or little pieces of, of cells and come up to cellular biology. And eventually here's the yellow layer up on the stack next up in the rainbow. It's biology. We're building cells at this point and we can make little critters like amoeba or paramecia or, um, or people, lions and tigers and bears. And you're supposed to say, oh, my, I'm cute here when I say that. Oh, my. Oh, my. I got my oh, my. And the, the next step up, we, we've got cells. We can add electrical activity to them and make neurons. Okay. We start getting things that can can send signals around our cells, make them communicate with each other. That's a separate nerve cell. And if we get enough of these, we can put them together. And I cheated and stole the bottom one and put it on the top because red, of course, goes on the top of the rainbow, as everyone has looked at a rainbow nose. So it looks a little out of, out of place. Uh, and we've got a brain. All these little electrical signals working together. This is the standard model for how thought works. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seventh stack on the table is nothing but mathematical. It's, a, it's an abstraction of math. And the last thing we did was we um, talked about splitting the mind into two parts, and that was subconscious and conscious mind. And I do have one more piece here, and it's not part of the rainbow. It's kind of a funny one. Um, awareness. My last little top, this makes an Ikea lighthouse, actually, which is where I got this thing around. I'm pretty sure I saw Jeff Bezos go up into space in that contraption you just built right there. Yeah, that's probably true. Actually, he didn't go. Well, you know, he did go up himself. He but did. first, he sent up a Tesla Roadster. And no, that was Elon to, Musk. Oh, that's Musk. I'm sorry. My yeah. bad. I'm confusing Come on. my Come on, my get heroes. your billionaire straight. Come yeah, on. really. I'm sorry. I'm not one myself, so I don't do very well keeping them keeping them uh, separate from each other. Uh, Musk sends up the Tesla, um, and if there is a teapot between, speaking of Bertrand Russell from um, Brief History of Time, the philosopher that supposedly told told the tortoise slash turtle story, his his argument against God was. If I hypothesize that there's a teapot floating somewhere between Earth and Mars, uh, burden of proof is on me to prove that it's there because there's no way to disprove it. And I am go just going to say that if there is a teapot between Earth and Mars somewhere in orbit, it is in the glove box of that um, Tesla Roadster. And I wouldn't put Elon Musk past putting a teapot in that before he launched it and not telling anyone just as part of a secret. Okay. But we're going somewhere else at the moment than that. I just couldn't resist following that rabbit trail. I smelled a rabbit and had to go after it. Next step. I'm not going to need this. I've got a, a, a little light here that you can see on your screen and I'm going to stand back and I'm going to look at my thumb here and I'm going to look through only my right eye and I'm going to go about nine inches off here and I'm going to hold hold the thing and move it around until I find a spot where I can't see it. 
and I can't see it, and it goes away. I don't see that flame, even though I can see it in the little picture from the Zoom thing. And it's because when I'm looking with one eye, I have a blind spot in my eye where the nerves, the optic nerve connects. So why don't I see a blind spot when I look at a wall? I look at a wall with floral wallpaper, and I see maybe flowers or maybe it's little horsies all over it. And... I don't see a spot with no horsies. And if I look at a gr green wall, I'll see it all solid green. No spot where it's full of horsies or flowers. Look at a blue wall, it's blue. No green spot, no, no anything else. My brain fills in that piece of information that I don't actually have. And it makes me think I'm seeing something which I'm not really seeing. That's one of the things my subconscious mind does. Up here... Uh, back to our stack again, this top layer, the red layer that's the brain, is doing that. It's part of the calculating it does. But it's not me. I'm, I'm looking at what I'm seeing, and it's something different than this brain that fills it in. I'm somehow seeing, perceiving a qualia, something that's perceptual but has no, no physical reality. And it's been filled in by the brain, and it generates a fake piece of the world for me to see. So we haven't really got up to what we're going for is the soul. So far, we're not there yet. And that's what this idea of awareness is on the, my top layer above the red, is we're trying to figure out what this awareness thing is. And the standard model has always been that it's computed, that it's a computational thing, an emergent phenomena that just somehow comes from nowhere. But if it's pure mathematics, we have the problem that Stephen Hawking pointed out and his, his ghostwriter wrote, wrote a book about, sorry about that, Kitty Ferguson was Stephen Hawking's ghostwriter. She wrote her own book, Fire in the Equations, which basically tries to explain that the number seven can't create anything. So how did we get from these equations to the universe? Or more importantly, how do we get from these equations and the computer that we've generated for a brain and got something that's aware of itself? Well, um, Stephen Hawking did not win a Nobel Prize, but he did, w with the help of a fellow named Roger Penrose, write a paper that was responsible for a train of thought that Roger Penrose followed and brought him to winning a Nobel Prize. So Stephen Hawking was actually at the at the oh, at the source of a Nobel Prize, but you have to still be alive to win it, or he might have been there at, in Stockholm and um, and getting it awarded. But his, the fellow he wrote the paper with, Roger Penrose, stuck with it and did manage to get a Nobel Prize just this last year for his contributions to black holes and relativity, which was what Hawking was working on. And the same Roger Penrose decided to change his emphasis oh, a few decades ago and wrote a book called The Emperor's New Mind uh, by Roger Penrose, of course, in which he took every approach he could to the computational method of generating thought 
and proved using different kinds of sciences and different kinds of logical reasoning that it wasn't possible. So he's saying, look, the emperor has no clothes, which is why the book's called The Emperor's New Mind. And it's a, a modern scientific book written by a Nobel Prize winner explaining why thought cannot come from a brain from electrical activity in a computing system and why we are unable to build computers even though we can build computers that can stomp on any human player at chess or go that aren't aware of themselves or can't do the simplest kinds of things a child can do when we divide the our mind the their top level on our our little toy ring stack that we're trying to get to into its conscious and subconscious parts, we end up with a, a very interesting distinction between the two. The, they're, it's if, as if they're made completely differently. The subconscious mind is something that you lose as you get older. I'm an old guy, I'm in my 70s, and I'm starting to feel um, I'm starting to say things wrong. When I listen to recordings of, of our podcasts, I say, oh, I said that backwards. Oh, I said, uh, Sir Raleigh, or Rod, no, Sir Walter Penrose instead of Sir Roger Penrose, because I'm, of course, thinking Sir Walter Raleigh instead of Roger Penrose. So I, I'm I do that same thing, just so you know, and I'm not 70. Okay. Well, I used to at least think I was smarter when I was younger than I think I am now. And I know good and well, and my wife certainly knows that my mind is not where it used to be. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to teach her to say, um, I see what you're trying to say. No, instead no, no of, comment oh. on this conversation, <laughs> by the way. No comment. <laughs> Maybe a moment of silence for when Debbie listens mm. to this and jumps on me. Um, Debbie's younger than I am, considerably younger. I was one of those lucky people who married a young prom court nominee instead of a, some, somebody else. And I'm very lucky to have her as a wife. However, she has noticed that my mind is going before hers is. And she's right, <laughs> which, which is a, a serious problem for me. And I'm trying that's very hard. It's a fringe to, benefit, though. Let's be well, honest. Okay, that's that's yeah. a nice fringe benefit of this is, hey, you know, my backup brain. Okay. I, I, a backup brain looks like, I brought one today in case it came up, but you all have one. This is my cell phone. This is our backup brain. Okay? Yeah. That's, Amen that's to what's that, going. It's, it's something I don't have anymore. I can't remember stuff. I, I say, okay, what are my options here? And I don't know what my options are. I'm not smart enough to remember the rules and things like that. I can't remember the equations. I have to look them up. I can't remember Stephen Hawking's quote. I have to look it up in his book. Um, they go when you get old. And if you have a newborn baby at the other end of life, and you ask them, hey, what's Stephen Hawking's quote? They'll look at you and coo cutely. You know, they say, oh, that's so sweet. He doesn't know what Stephen Hawking's quote is. He hasn't developed the tools he needs to have a subconscious mind. Um, you can learn to improve your subconscious mind. You can study things. You can memorize facts. You can learn to see patterns in chess. You can do things to improve that, but you start out with basically nothing. You don't have it when you're little, and when you get old, you... You don't have it anymore. But what you do have when you're old is a sense of me. If somebody says, okay, you're old now. We don't really need you anymore. Is it okay if we turn your lights off? 
I say, well, no, actually, I have some more things I'd like to do with my lights, if you don't mind. And a baby, if you don't feed them, will let you know that they're there and they need some food. So the conscious part of the mind is there right from the get-go, even when you're falling apart so badly that you haven't got your subconscious mind anymore. Now, the standard model is that the subconscious mind has this epiphenomena where it generates the conscious mind, but it's still doing it after it's fallen to pieces. So there's something really different. Here's a, another way of looking at it. And that's my phone ringing. And I figured out how to turn it off, which is good because that was a spam junk. Nothing call. but anyway, a high quality podcast for us. Yeah, nothing but the best. Okay, I have my cell phone here. It's my replacement brain. If a government agent came to me and said, hey, for 25 cents, I'll I'll give you a cell phone. I'd say, well, I'm not sure that's really a good idea because I'll have to pay twice for it through my taxes. But, oh dear, and, and another piece of noise there. But that's this, still only 50 cents. Yeah, well, that's right. Okay, so it's still a good deal. This is a useful tool to have. And my subconscious mind is a useful tool to have. I like it. I like being able to remember all the scientific laws that I remembered. And I, I miss it when I can't remember them anymore. It's a good tool. If somebody came and said, hey, I've got a nasty phone. Um, ball and chain is what I call them. But anyway, it's a cool tool anyway. And we all carry them, even though we hate them, because it's a cool tool. If we could do the whole thing with our mind, have it wired into the internet, that would be better. So if somebody came and said, hey, for $100,000, maybe you can scrape it together if you scrimp and save for a while. All build one of those into your mind, and you'll just remember everything all the time. And you think, hey, that would be a good way to spend $100,000, especially at my age. I'll liquidate some of my real estate somewhere, and, and I'll get that done. That, that's a good thing. Now, another person comes to you, and this guy sounds like he has to be a government agent. And he says, hey, sometimes you make poor choices. Sometimes you... You, you don't make the right conclusions. The things that, that are part of your, your conscious mind, your choices, your ability to, to, to feel truth, things like that. This is not based on anything you've learned. You, you have a sense of what's, what's true and what's right. Um, logic and morality there. Plato talked about three different kinds of logic. There, there was, oh, what did he use? The ancient Latin words. A logos, ethos, and pathos, emotion, things you feel, things you think logically, and um, uh, appeal to, to morality. Three different ways you make decisions. They don't seem to be mechanically calculated. They all seem to be felt. That you, can't, you can't derive logic. You can't say, here's a logical uh, argument that proves logic is valid, because that would be a circular argument. We would be assuming logic to begin with. So you can't use a logical element, uh, argument. What about an illogical argument? Well, that wouldn't prove it either, obviously. You have the same problem with morality and, and um, emotions. They're not, they're not logical. They're not based on anything, but they're what we feel. Okay, this government agent comes to us and said, won't cost you a thing. It's paid for by your tax dollars. And I'm just going to take this scalpel here, and I'm going to adjust your brain, and you'll make better choices. 
you'll vote better. You'll do all kinds of things. And at this point, we do the cross to hold off Count Dracula. Get away from me, you fiend. And you're ready to use lethal force to stop them. Your subconscious mind is a useful tool that you don't mind if it gets messed with, if it's an improvement. Your conscious mind is you. It's very different. So this fellow, Roger Penrose, puts all these arguments together in his book, The Emperor's New Mind, and he proves that it's not possible, but that doesn't replace it with anything. So have you guys ever looked at little single-celled critters under a microscope? I did in high school and junior high. Um, would you object to watching some right now in a video that no one will see and we can talk about them and describe them to people? Uh, yes, I would object. Okay, you can't do that, huh? It's, it's an audio podcast. I don't want to even go down that road. But we could be describing it just like I'm describing the stacking thing. I don't need to see it for you to describe it. Okay, well, let's describe it. I am looking at a video over here that I am going to start, and I see a paramecium swim into... Oh, how cute. He's kind of nosing around during the base of that clump of stuff that looks like flowers but aren't. Now he disappears out of the screen and comes back in again. Oh, there's one that came in from the top. Uh, this paramecium. It looks like a little cucumber, but you can see it right through him because he's so small. Oh, he bumped into one of the flowers, and it recoiled with a spring, and it kind of startled him. And now he's kind of wandering out of the screen. Here comes another one. Now he's coming back into the screen and poking his nose around again. Another one bumps into the same flower and knocks it down. Now he's poking his nose around. Okay, what are these things doing? What have I just described to you? Uh, what my dog does every day, just kind of. Yeah, what your dog around. does every day, that kind of stuff. The thing's behaving. It, it has what we have on our, the bottom stack of our, our ring stack. It has the ability to make a decision and do something. Just like whatever created the universe does. The things look like they're alive. Now, how do they get this? Obviously, they're brains, right? Only problem is they're single-celled animals. And that single cell is not a nerve cell. They don't even have one nerve in them. And yet, they're acting. They're doing things. When people study earth uh, roundworms, what did, I can't see... Uh, I can't remember the scientific name for the roundworms they study. This particular species has only 302 nerve cells. So they say, hey, we can map this thing and understand it. So they're going to try to figure out, they've announced they're going to figure this out from their maps of the 302 neurons, how they all hook together. They've got a, a wiring diagram for the computer, how this worm is going to hunt for food, avoid predators, actually mate these Worms do have sexual reproduction of a sort. It's, it's a little bit primitive. How to um, how to uh, get themselves in an, uh, an environment that they like. In short, they have behavior. And we think, we as these scientists, think that somehow by analyzing this thing, they'll figure out how they do it. We go back to our paramecia under microscopes and study them again. They're doing all that, and they don't even have one single nerve cell. How are they doing it? Where is it coming from? Well, now we're going to include, uh, these are my daughter's earphones. Uh, we're going to bring Roger Penrose back again. He wrote another book later called Shadows of the Mind, which explains how 
how he thinks it works. And he recruited the help of another fellow. This guy is not a scientist, though he seems to know his science pretty well. He's certainly a skilled amateur. Stuart Hammeroff is his name. He's a doctor, an anesthesiologist, a medical doctor. And what he has done is studied these things under anesthesia, paramecia. He takes these paramecia and watches them hunt for food and flee uh, bottle tail larvae, bottle tail fly larvae. They kind of make a zigzagging path trying to get away when these uh, larvae come after them. They recognize the predator. They try to evade them. They hunt for food. They, they get together socially. They actually have a form of mating, though they're not, it's nothing like uh, bisexual mating, but they do interchange DNA with each other. They manage to accomplish all of this without a single nerve cell. So his, his thinking is, gee, uh, I wonder if it's something else. And he tries anesthetizing his paramecia to see what happens. And at about the right level, you don't give them too much. You give them enough, but not too much. They die if you give them too much, just like people. They'll, they'll stop. They'll just sit there and won't do a thing just like a person does. Now, what happens to a person? They don't die when you put them under anesthetic. They just lose consciousness. They stop having the conscious parts of their mind. Their subconscious parts still work fine. Their brains are still telling their heart when to beat and doing all of the automatic functions like breathing that your body has to do and can do without the help of the conscious mind. But your consciousness goes away. Have it anymore for some reason when you're under anesthetic and people are trying to figure that out. It's another unsolved mystery. How do anesthetics knock out consciousness and not subconscious behavior? That goes with the mystery of why can't we make conscious behavior even though we can do subconscious behavior in a machine? So, what's going on? Well, Penrose's theory is that there are little microtubules in paramecia, in human brain cells, and in anything with the ability to do yeah. consciousness that are themselves quantum mechanical computing devices. Wow. And that takes us right down to the bottom of our stack. So, so wait a second. So what he's Quant, just described scientifically is what we would call the soul. Which we would call the soul. It's quantum mechanical. Hmm. The soul is quantum mechanical. I'll be doggone too. And he's got a structure for it. Now, this is controversial, and the whole scientific community is down on this guy's throat. They're mocking Penrose and Hammeroff, calling them crazy religious uh, flakes, which they're not Christians. Uh, right. But they're, they're kind of bordering on it because they found something in their world that's forcing them to this position. Hmm. Why are they doing that? <laughs> They're following the science where it leads. They're following the it. science where it lead, leads them instead of where they are hoping it will lead them. I thought the science right. was already settled. It is. Oh, Everyone all science knows. is settled. I have settled yes, <laughs> we know all. You know, when you were saying that, I'm like, there's obviously a deeper mechanic to a single-celled organism. In obviously. fact, to all organisms, you know? Yeah. Okay, it's quantum mechanical, and the mechanism, it's according amazing. to Pen Penrose and Hammeroff, and they can both describe it brilliantly as if they were both quantum physics physicists, because, of <laughs> course, 
Stuart Hameroff had to re-educate himself when he teamed up with Roger Penrose, and, and he knows it. He understands. When he lectures quantum, quantum mechanics, I listen and say, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm listening. I can learn from him. Mm. And so these little tubules. Are, are you saying that paramecium have souls? Yes. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Although what we consider a soul and what a paramecia considers a soul might not be yeah. quite the same thing. You're and saying so that he part, has a degree of a degree of what consciousness. we call soulness, consciousness. Yeah. yeah, right. He has some kind because of because there's behavior. There's it, behavior. Yes, there is behavior, and it goes away under anesthetic. And what goes right. away under anesthetic in us is consciousness. Mm. Do we know that's what goes away in a paramecium? Of course not. We no. can't crawl inside of one. But it sure looks suspicious. Right. It looks like we've got it. It looks like Penrose's argument and Hameroff's argument has nailed it. And that our souls are quantum mechanical. Who else is quantum mechanical? God is quantum mechanical. Right. And the way we know that is because quantum mechanics is what created the universe. In our key, henologos, keologos, henproston, theon, katheos, henologos. That might have been visual for most people. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Yeah, right. Uh, I should have stuttered when I was saying what, it. So what did that mean, by the way? In, our, in the beginning again. was the word. The word okay. was with God, and the word was God. It's it's Greek, John 1, 1. I heard logos. I knew that part. Logos. It's translated word in the King James. It would be better translated logic. In the beginning was logic. Logic is quantum mechanical. It's the basis for, for thought and mathematics. In the beginning was logic. The logic was with God, and the logic was God. Quantum mechanical is mathematical. Mathematics is logical, and logic is God. Okay, I'm about to lose my faith if you say Jesus is math, because I can't do math. You know, so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be really careful here. Okay, I'll be really <laughs> careful, and I'll try do to not equate the logos that. with math and Jesus, because then I'm out. <laughs> the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Is that okay? Can you That's do okay. That? I got that. I got that. And you know, I love that because there, there's that. There's so many passages that seem to point to the creation. You know, by him, all things hold together in Colossians. <laughs> um, all things are created for him, through him, by him. Um, there's these real cosmological statements in the scripture that go back to that whole idea of the logo. Preach it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quantum mechanics, and it all goes back to it. It's, unpack it unpack it a little, little more because you're you're this is amazing I, lo I love when your points come together because um what i love about you is you're just real relaxed you're building this argument you start off with a preschool child's toy hey check this out boom boom, boom. and then you just like sucker punch us with like bringing well, it, it together that, that top layer our subconscious minds is at the bottom it's part of the bottom layer we are created in god's image and we are yeah. logical rational emotional and moral beings and that's all at the bottom you don't even get that from logic how do you get it from a computer and the answer is computers are not moral they're not emotional never will be that's what I saw at the top and the bottom was that whole math. You had math repeated. It was at the yeah, bottom. What's it doing at both the top and the bottom? Isn't that right. interesting? I noticed that uh, many years before I understood. I used to 
to mo moderate a group called Mars Hill where we'd have people talk about interesting subjects every week or two. And we had a guy who was doing his PhD. Uh, actually, it was a, 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 a divinity doctorate. He's, he wears robes. He's, uh, oh, come on. Um, some very highfalutin church thing. He actually walks around with his bishop robes or whatever they are. Right on. Come, comes to these things. Yeah, I, I can't remember. He went to a university up here between here and Santa Barbara near the coast, which I, I can't remember the name of either. But he was doing his. his Debbie. Uh, we need you, Debbie. Yeah, we do, really. <laughs> if she were here, she would kick me and tell me. <laughs> you remember the guy's name too. I want to see that where like you're like a robot and you're getting stuck yeah, and really just gives you a cooking. I invited him to my living room and he addressed the group and and gave a talk on causality and he did this stack thing. <clears throat> and I pointed out to him that math was both at the top and bottom of a stack, and I didn't have an understanding for that. And I had a bunch of books I'd collected together, and this this stack of books. Some of the books hadn't been published yet at the time. Some of them had, and I hadn't bought them yet because I, did, I was on a more limited budget back then than I am now. But this, these books were all in one line on my bookshelf, and I looked over at them. And each one of these books was selected because there was something really strange about that book that just didn't make sense. I studied science all of my life, and each one of them said, something's wrong with science here. Something's wrong with science here. Um, and each one of those books had fascinated me. Like, if I could understand this, I would understand everything. And I'm looking at math at the top and then looking at math at the bottom. And I said, what if they are the same math? My thought before that had been they were two different kinds of math. And philosophy groups like this one, we use words like epistemology and ontology, which means the science of, of truth, of understanding logic, and the science of existence something completely different. At the bottom, we have the math of existence, the math of quantum mechanics, and the top, top we have the math of understanding, the math we've reasoned mm. out in our brains. Right. And so I have two different kinds of math. And I thought, what if those two are really the same? What if we have created another stack ourselves, like a stack of, uh, a stack of logic made out of silicon instead of carbon, like humans are, Right. Like it's a computer. We build transistors, we make pieces, and we build our stack until we get up to the top, and we've made a mind. And we, we put logic into this mind somehow. And why can't we do that last step? Why can't we get to, to the, the kind of logic that is self-evident? We, we can do the whole stack again in a computer until we get to that last step. And Roger Penrose's book was up there staring at me. We can't do that last step. And I mm. wrote them all on a piece of paper and I took those two masks and I curled it around in a loop and taped them together and looked at it. And I had a circle now where I could go around the loop over and over and over again and thought, where is this loop broken? Where have I connected two things together that don't connect? And finally, I stared at it and said, there it is. And it was, of course, between subconscious mind and conscious mind. Mm. So I carefully tore those two layers apart and, and looked at the thing again with conscious mind at the bottom, God, 
and building up to subconscious mind, something that you don't really care that much about mm. up at the top of this stack. And I thought, that makes sense. And I looked at those books again, and I started at one end of the shelf and looked at the books and one, at one, at, one at a time and said, that answers the question. That answers the question. Mm. I went to the other end of the shelf and it knocked out every one of them. Every question I had in my life had been answered at that point. And I thought, I can wow. die now. As soon as I uh, write the book, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Did you ever write that one? Called Who Designed God? It's on the internet. I was anyway, wondering if that was it. the That's one. Who Designed God? Okay, I was wondering about that because That's the, so so your point in this kind of I your can die um, <laughs> what what you're saying though is that your um, you're saying that we can create a computer, we can teach it math and logic that we know, we can compute the rules. We can get it to act in a consistent, logical way to a certain degree with silicone. It can follow a series silicon. of processes. Silicone has oxygen Sil in it. It isn't just oh. silicon. Oh, okay. Silicone is the rubbery stuff. Silicon is hard. I was going to say, I'm on a building project. So silicone <laughs> is very much stuck in my mind and in my grooves. So here's the deal. I uh, What you're actually saying, though, is we are lacking the ability to do that quantum Quality yeah, we're working on quantum mechanical sentience. computing. We're working on a machine that we can get possessed by a demon. Right, but we we can't exactly. We can't we can't create quantum the quantum mechanics of sentience, the soulness of something. That's our limitation. We're trying humans. to harness it at the moment, and somebody's going to make it in a lab, and they're going to forget to draw a pentagram around the computer. I, I would just like to point out <laughs> that many of my machines have been possessed by demons. Yes, like me too. Printers, basis, printers in the '90s were all possessed by. It demons certainly and seems that way. However, they don't have quantum mechanical elements in them yet. I heard one laugh at me once, which is why I'm not sure it's necessary for a demon to possess a machine. They, well, it they may can, not be they, necessary. A lot of bad things can happen <laughs> with just a plain rock falling on you. <laughs> this is why I went to Apple from PC to Apple. Because I, I have had less computers. problems with devils ever since. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much my techie friends try to tell me, hey, that's stupid. Don't do that. I'm like, I just don't have devil problems anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, you do. We had a little trouble with your apples losing all your data. We actually did. For those of you that don't know, Don Stoner uh, and, and I had a... Uh, a uh, working relationship over the textbook, shall we say. And uh, all of my, uh, over half my uh, bibliography was lost. And uh, Don had worked painstakingly. If you like the book and you like the bibliography, I don't think we ever fully recovered it, but uh, yeah, didn't. Church Plantology. Uh, but I'm Don, plugging your book. It's a good book. I particularly like your stuff on the Acts. It was like reading the, the Acts for the first time. We all fit together. It felt like oh, I understood thanks, it for man. the first time. You're quite welcome. And thanks for writing the book. Oh, well, thanks, thanks for working on it. I, I, I honestly could not have finished it. Yeah, I appreciate two page the two-page reference. Acknowledgement, yeah. You, you know about this, right, uh, Don? Mm -hmm. We talked about two this pages, last week. Yeah. Where it's Pete on one page and Mitchell at the top of the yeah. other one. I'm giving it. I told him. And I only get pages. one page. Golly gee. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually in there twice. Other than Pete Mitchell, you're in there twice. I, I, I called on the mightiest of the three. David had his mighty men, and then there were the three. And then it says, and he was the mightiest of the three. Because Don was literally sitting right next to me uh, for 
days doing this thing, um, just working away, plugging away, taking all these stacks and stacks of books. Like, man, I mean, just moving through them and painstakingly doing the bibliography, which we lost, but that's okay. We re- we rebuilt it. You have a bibliography in your book. I saw it. It's in there. We, I we remember a lot of it. We recovered some and then called in the troops to repair the rest. But man, Don, that's awesome. And guys, just a reminder, our, our I should have introduced it this way, but our context for this talk has really been to give some some confidence when you're speaking to people about science, that the science will point back to God. Um, Don is a scientist. He actually is um, respected. Um, people know he's a Christian, but he's able to speak intelligently. But make and, sure uh, science is real. Don't try to use something you've read in a in a book you bought for twenty bucks. It's supposed to prove scientifically that God is real in three hundred pages, and there it is. Now I know. You right. look like a total idiot. Right, pop science, or you know, um, kind of like pop theology. Uh, there are people out there that really know what they're talking about, and uh, we tend to um, really value uh, opinions um, over. Over knowledge and wisdom. So, um, it's hard Donna, to spend ten years in a lab studying it all and picking up the science. Right. Easier well, to was, read hundred pages or three hundred pages of book. I'm going to throw a bonus question at you, and thanks for that today. That was actually super cool. Um, that I, that aha moment was rad. Um, mm-hmm. What what I just want to ask you because Dawkins, he's not quite the boogeyman today that he was um, maybe five ten years ago. Um, but what is your take on Dawkins? I wish I was his friend. I'm, I'm not. I, I ticked him off. Um, he is afraid to engage with the punctuated equilibrius because they have the evidence for the half of the evidence for evolution that he his evidence conflicts with. Right. So he's painted himself into a corner. He's only half of an evolutionist. He's the, the laboratory kind. He understands the theory and he understands what happens when you deal with the, the bacteria and the, and the condors and the stuff in a laboratory or in small groups in nature that you can observe that they're alive. It's what really happens with living creatures. And he knows it. He understands the math. He knows it's true. And he won't give an inch to the paleontologists in the field. You know the names, Dr. Johansson, Donald C. Johansson, the whole leaky clan, Louie and Mary, his wife, and their son, Richard, that were digging up Australopithecines and Homo habilis and, and the old Duvi, old Vike Gorge, trying to pronounce it the way Donald Johansson pronounced it instead of the way I pronounced it after reading a few of his books. Um, I think Dr. Johansson's cool. I managed to... Oh, this is a cool story. Um, I, a friend of one of my daughters calls me up and says, hey, are you available to go to a lecture with me? She's in college taking a paleontology lecture, and she's supposed to hear a lecture by Donald Johansson. You know, can you go and explain it to me? And I said, oh, sure. And I uh, called called my daughter and got her to, I, I had to drive right there, and my daughter lived closer to, to the lecture, and I asked if she could pick up as much chocolate as she could buy, and I'd re- reimburse her for it because I've read all of Johansson's books and I know who he is. And so we go there, we sit and listen through an excellent lecture. And, and this, this 
little girl is a pastor's daughter and she's listening to the whole thing. And afterward, I walk up to Dr. Johansson. He's got a, a line of probably 20, 30 people behind him all waiting to get their new books autographed. And I say, excuse me to very rudely walk up to the front of the line and say, this is important. And I put down a stack of the whole pile of chocolate and I make sure and drop it a little bit so it makes a thud sound when it, when it drops and say, Dr. Johansson, I presume. And he says, oh, 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 um, I'm, I'm terribly busy right now. I said, it's okay. I'll be here for, for a long time. You know, go ahead and take care of what you need to do. And he couldn't wait to get rid of that entire line of people. I felt kind of badly about it. But anyway, spent some time with my daughter and the pastor's daughter. And, and we talked about paleontology and stuff. And one of the things he said was, hey, you've read my books. And I said, yeah, because I knew about chocolate being something he he really craved. And anytime anyone was coming to Africa, they'd say, please bring chocolate. You can't buy chocolate in Africa. It's half paraffin or it'll melt. So, so this fellow shows up and says, ah, oh, I got hungry at the airport. Here's a few melted M&Ms in my pocket, you know. He's ready to wring the guy's neck, but but doesn't. And the fellow says, well, I got some stuff for you here, and hands him a backpack. And when he opens it later, he notices it's full of Swiss Miss chocolate, the whole thing, which was his very favorite. And so it was a, the very worst and very best experience he had. So I, I said the same thing the fellow said, Dr. Johansson, I presume, but he didn't say it. He resisted the the urge to say it because it's what everyone says when they see him in Africa. And he managed not to say it and then gave him all the chocolate. So I gave him the chocolate and I did say Dr. Johansson, I presume, because he wouldn't have caught it if I didn't say it. And so afterward, I had a really nice talk with him. And uh, if I ever see him again, he'll remember me and I'll, rem of course, remember him. And we can resume our conversation where we, we left off. And now I can't remember why I started telling this story. I think it had to do with Richard Dawkins. Oh, yeah, Richard Dawkins. Yeah. He's a totally different guy. He, 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 he sees the other side of it. He sees the paleontology stuff. He knows the leaps happen, even though the mathematics and the evidence you see in the lab says they cannot possibly happen. In fact, they do. Right. So the question is what happened, and the answer is God used surrogate mothers. And every so, time so it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, every time Johansson sees a leap, that's where God was active and created something. What does Johansson do with those gaps? He says, uh, Dr. Dawkins is wrong. Dr. Right. Dawkins says, so each one is saying the other's wrong. These are that scientists is correct, holding and they're both thinking they're, they're, they're fools. Right. Stephen Gould and Dr. Dawkins got together and debated one more time, or one, one time, I'm sorry, only one time. It was a, a great debate. The two almost lost it with each other. They were calling each other things that implied stupid if they didn't use the S word. In this case, mm -hmm. the S word means stupid. Um. And Richard Dawkins wouldn't debate anyone after that. And the one time I got in a quote-unquote debate with Richard Dawkins, it was as a question and answer session at the end of a, a I remember you saying lecture. he misrepresented your, uh, your question and then there shut you down. There were two lectures the second time he did. The second time when it was the main lecture, he misrepresented okay. my question and shut me down. But this time I actually got to talk to him. And I said, uh, regarding your your disagreement with Stephen Gould, who he had debated, uh, do, 
do, do you think his error is in the his understanding of anyway it was a technical question his understanding of the mathematics or his misinterpretation of the fossils is it you know a theoretical or or a, an evidence evidentiary thing and dr dawkins stared at me evilly and said are you a christian wow and i said i would rather not talk about my faith i'm here to talk about the science wow. and he would not leave it alone and he kept identifying me as a Christian and said, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I happen to be a Christian, but I'm also really a scientist. And hmm. we went back and forth a bunch of times, and he was trying to mock me for my belief in God. And I said, well, that's not what I believe about God. I'm not young earth. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually, actually a physicist. I, I'm real. And I've studied life science i understand why it cannot happen mathematically the way johansen says it did and how stephen gould saw sees that it did in the fossil record and he said well in order for anything as complicated god to exist there it would have had to have required some kind of evolutionary uh, uh way of getting there and I said, Doctor, uh, I'm afraid I was rude. I said, Doctor Dawkins. And when you say that in a conversation with someone that you've been having for a while, you're obviously backing off to to formality concerning your theory that God is complex. Is it scientifically falsifiable? Which is one of his phrases. If it's not falsifiable, it's not wow. science. Wow. And he went on a rant that lasted maybe five minutes. <laughs> Hoisted on his own pertard, as Shakespeare would say. Yeah, well, trying to explain why it was okay. And then he looks at me after wow. he, I've, my eyes have glazed over and I'm completely <laughs> bored. And I look around and say, the other people have questions. Give them a turn. I'm done. And wow. that was where we left it. And that was why he would not answer my hand everyone's looking and pointing there's a hand there's a hand he wouldn't go back to you well he finally with all the pressure yielded and and of course i had laryngitis that evening and had burned out my voice at the oh, first lecture right. and so i couldn't get and i couldn't get anyone around me to relay my question to it so he, he misinterpreted the question and mocked yeah. me for for answering it or for asking it interesting and i spent a little bit of time after him and tried to become his friend but it was really too late by then yeah interesting wow yeah. well that's great um thanks for that and i you know i think because he's the great satan you know he's the big boogeyman that that people are he's a misguided of. scientist yeah and i you know he's emotional i mean you know whenever whenever i he's see human. someone who's who's an emotional atheist it it causes me to go okay something else is going on dig deep enough into richard dawkins um psyche and you'll probably find a guy who feels guilty about a great many things. I mean, I've, I've, you know, definitely paid attention to Dawkins over the years, um, where he said it was amazingly liberating to realize there was no God. I mean, he was, he was, he was under Paul's uh, conviction and torment. It's the Roman seven thing. And he eventually came out and said, you know what, if I remove God, I don't have to feel or deal 
with any of these emotions anymore. And when, of I can, course, when you remove God, you remove logic. Right. Which means God gives you over to the unsound mind as promised. Right. And only to those who are perishing. And, and he, he also of, removed the ability to follow the science where it leads. Because that's what yeah. you've demonstrated today, is that if you follow quantum physics and you what you did today was you just took the works of scientists who were out there doing research on it and built a case for God off it. So that was pretty rad. When you so, accept logic, you accept it by faith. You can't prove it. You cannot prove logic logically. You have to accept it by faith. Mm. Just like salvation, it comes by faith. You reject salvation. You're rejecting the basis for logic, which is why you get given over to an unsound mind and end up preaching with half the evidence. It's really interesting that you say that. Sorry, I got a train coming by, but it's really interesting that you talk about rejecting logic because um, yesterday my entire day was spent um, outlining the Gospel of John for my day job. Um, I I did an entire outline of John trying to, to follow and see could you break down the outline of John's gospel based on testimony? I kept coming across the word testify and testimony and all these legal terms for John, which I had never seen before. And Interesting as I came word, across test it, all things, saying to the good and right? the bad. Yeah. And it and it comes it starts off with logic, right? And there's so many passages that have to do like even Nicodemus, do we condemn a man? Does our law allow us to condemn a man without evidence? You know, there's all these different things that once you come to it, you're like, this is all testimony and testifying and these things. So I find it interesting where you've gone and there is that verse um, in John 3 that people often miss. He, he actually uh, early on plays his hand and says, this is the verdict. You can hear the testimonies. Everything is all these testimonies. Testimony of the woman of the well. Testimony of Nicodemus. Testimony of John and, and Peter in the last chapter. But at the end. This um, is the judgment. Light has come is, into the world. And men have rejected light and embraced darkness. Yes. I mean, that that's it, right? And, and it doesn't matter. That is the judgment. Yeah. That is it. That is the verdict. So, uh, well, hey, Don, thank you for coming on. Um, we so appreciate it. You know, Pete, when it's you're, um, yeah, it has been. Uh, Pete, while you're debating all these scientists and talking quantum physics and sentience in, uh, you know, in computers and what have you, and fighting the devils in your printer, how do you, Pete, make sure that you've got time to do all of your, uh, you know, financial, legal, IRS tax compliancy? Uh, well, I usually don't do it. I uh, turn it all over to Josh Henry over at simplifychurch.com and I let him do it. I've heard that he's sentient. He he has a conscious mind and he's I aware don't know, of these things. But I do pass the buck to simplifychurch.com. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, uh, simplifychurch.com, it's actually who I use. It's who my network uses. They're pretty dang awesome there. And uh, you can check them out. But Pete, one other thing. I want to take the opportunity to tell you, because we're such good friends, about SermonBoss.com. Have you ever heard of SermonBoss.com on any of these other podcasts, or you tune out at that time? SimplifySermonBoss.com? <laughs> Great way to confuse both of our sponsorships. Um, <laughs> I just wanted two with one blow. It's like Mickey's Taylor. Uh, SermonBoss.com, Pete, what they'll help you do is take all of your media 
for your media needs, for your church plant or whatever it is, your ministry, your 501c3, and you can keep all of your people that are viewing those with their eyeballs on your page. You don't send them out to somewhere else. You keep them local and centralized. Sermon Boss is the only program that does that for churches. So go on and check out sermonboss.com and tell them Peyton and Pete at the Church Planner Podcast sent you. Well, this has been the Church Planner Podcast. We want to thank you, our audience, for riding shotgun with us and Don Stoner for yet another week. This has been amazing. Don, thanks for joining us. Pete, Peyton, signing out, reminding you that this is the Church Planner Podcast. If you want to reach those that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music